Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to New Books in the American West, a channel on the New Books Network of Podcasts. My name is Stephen Hausman. I'm an assistant professor in the history department at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's interview. And I'm very excited today to be joined by Dr. Iker Saitwa. Uh, an assistant professor of public policy and economic history at the University of the Basque Country in Bilbao, Spain. And we're going to be discussing his latest book, Basque Immigrants and Nevada's Sheep Industry, Geopolitics and the Making of an Agricultural Workforce, which came out a couple years ago in 2019 with the University of Nevada Press. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the new book's work, Eager. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, why don't we just begin, as we always do on the show, by just hearing a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, how did you become interested in history in particular? Sure. So, well, I was, I was born and raised in, in the Basque country, and is where I, where I live now and work now. And as a teenager, I developed an interest in history, I guess, as a way to understand how the society in which I lived came to, to its present form. So then, then I went to, on to college and graduated from the University of the Basque Country in 2010 with a Palakelor's degree in history. And, in, and it was during my undergrad years when I developed a strong interest in US history, and more specifically in the American political history and its place in the world or how the, the U.S. shaped the war in which uh, I was living at that time. And so I continued my education at the same university. Later, in 2011, I obtained my master's degree in history. And this program afford, afforded me an opportunity to take coursework at several campuses in all across Spain, including the the Complutense University of Madrid. And I had the opportunity to complete a coursework on US history and global history, which gave me more, uh, well, gave me the strong basis necessary for, for my master thesis. And following the completion of my master's degree, I received a graduate scholarship from the University of Nevada, Reno, and in 2012, I, well, I traveled to the U.S. For, the first, for my first time. 
uh, want to undertake a, a dissertation on the on the Basque immigration in the West. In 2000, in 2016, in the spring of 2016, I finished my PhD with a dissertation on the history of Basque immigration in the West, which gave the origin of this uh, of this book actually. And later on, while well, I've been working on this topic from different uh, uh, angles, between 2018 and 2019, I was a postdoctoral fellow in history at the University of California, Riverside. And later, uh, well, soon after, since the late 2019, I have been employed by the University of the Basque Country uh, here, here in, in Bilbao as an assistant professor of economic history, in which, well, I teach courses on economic history, so well, that's that's my my background uh, or my history. And what drew you to this specific topic for uh, first a dissertation and then for this book? Uh, what what drew you to Basque immigration and uh, the question of of, of sheep herding and geopolitics uh, in the American West? Yeah, that's that's kind of a curious my. I mean, what hooked me me on to to this topic, or what drew me drew me to to this topic? Actually, I have always found fascinating the history of the Basques overseas, but my interest as a historian in these subjects grew out of my studies in my senior year, and particularly during my graduate studies at the University of the Basque Country. So, as a graduate student, while researching for my master thesis on the Cold War, what I found, I learned about the role played by Senator of Nevada, Pat McCarran, how he, ex how he sponsored Basque immigration and helped to recruit during the war and after uh, to bring Basques to the United States during the 1940s and 50s. And now I found myself reflecting upon how how this senator, who played an important role, as it is well known, in the, in the McCarthy era, and also played an important role in, in helping, well, in promoting closer relations between the US and the Franco, Francisco Franco regime in Spain, how at the same time promoted the, the recruitment of Basque immigrants who at the same time were escaping Franco's regime. So, it was very paradoxical, and that, uh, well, that is part of my, my curiosity, and so I wanted to know more, and after a quick look at the general bibliography, to my surprise, I found that this topic had received little scholarly attention, and basically that, that hooked me on. I mean, so I can I can say that <laughs> the Senator McCarran drew me, drew me to, this, uh, uh, to this topic. And I'm sure we'll come back to talking about McCarran later because he plays a pretty crucial role in the history that you tell here. But let's let's take a step back uh, a bit first and maybe just begin with some of the basics and some of the context that we're talking about here. Can you give us maybe just a, a short overview of the history of Basque immigration to the United States? When did Basque people start moving to North America from the Basque country, from northern Spain and southern France? And why did they do so? Yeah, so the Basque country has a has actually a long history of immigration, probably like many other European countries like uh, Ireland or other 
other immigrant uh, uh, other immigrant groups arriving to the West. And the Basques were part of this. Uh, and it was a big phenomenon. It was uh, was important in the in the in the history of the Basque country. Many Basques left this country for many parts of the globe for different reasons. Not not only the American West, but also Latin America, uh, Asia, and many other European countries. And after the prominent and continuous Basque presence. In the, in the current southwest region of the United States during the Spanish colonization, emigration became an intrinsic part of Basque life, especially in the 19th century. Basque immigrants began appearing in North America in, consider, in considerable numbers around the late 19th century. And here the push factors, the economic push factors of immigration include poverty, overpopulation, and the lack of jobs. So Basque immigration to the United States is largely considered to have begun around the time of the gold rush, when a group of Basques living in, they were living already in, in Latin America, particularly in Argentina, migrated north to California after the, 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 the gold rush. So past migrants moved to the American West looking for new employment opportunities, increased wealth, and a better standard of living. And in the late 19th century, the open ranch ship business or the, the, open, the open ranch ship industry pulled immigrants from the Basque country to, to the West. Uh, well, by the late 1880s, the Basque became a reliable source of labor in the Western ship industry, along with other immigrant communities, including the Portuguese uh, or the Greek immigrants. And with this, an occupational concentration process occurred with the arrival of more Basques who settled near one another and worked as shipherders alone with their countrymen in the West. So between the late 1890s and early 1900s, small groups of Basque immigrants arrived hoping to make money in the, in the, in the ship industry of the late, at that time, in the late 19th century, with the idea always to return to the homeland, to the Basque country in several, in several years with a small fortune, which in most of the cases clearly didn't happen. Most of them stayed forever in the U.S. and raised their families. And so similar stories that we saw on other, on other immigrant groups. And this immigration led to the establishment of many Basque communities all over the West. These networks that were created around these communities helped at the same time to facilitate hundreds of more, more Basque to emigrate in the decades following the sea boom of the late 19th century up to uh, the late 20th century. So we have a very rich history uh, uh, from the late 19th century to the late 20th century around the Basques and the ship business in, in the West. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history of Basque sheep herding uh, in particular, uh, both maybe maybe some of the deeper history in Europe, but also in the American West and in Nevada specifically? Yeah, that's, that's a, good, a good point here. Uh, because one of, the, one of the narratives that was developed uh, starting in the early 20th century was that the Basques 
were pre-adapted to the grazing conditions that they found in the states like Nevada, Utah, or the open ranch sheep grazing system that prevailed in, in the West, right, in the public land states. And curiously, it was not like this. I mean, these, these paths were not pre-adapted uh, to this grazing condition at this, as this narrative uh, told in the newspapers, in the reports, or how the employers uh, defended this idea. So it's important to, to, to make the differences, or what are the differences in terms of the grazing system that we find in Europe and in the West. In the case of Europe, throughout history, there have been a wide range of sheep grazing system, depending on the on the areas, even in one region, uh, even in the Basque country itself, uh, there are usually identified three main different types of grazing system depending on the area, depending on the provinces of the Basque country. In some areas of southern Basque country, for example, uh, throughout history prevailed the nomadic and semi-nomadic pastoralism. It could be similar to what we found in the West, but not in, uh, if we compare in terms of uh, the numbers of uh, the head of sheep that they graze in, in places like Nevada or, or Utah. But the system that prevailed in the late 19th century and early 20th century which is the time that these Basque immigrants, uh, uh, I mean, was when these Basque immigrants emigrated to, to the West, was kind of a mixed system in which the farmer grazed a small flock of less than 100 head of sheep on his, on his own land. This, uh, of course, is, we are talking about a very different type of grazing system we compare with the open run sheep industry with more than, uh, with about 2,000 or 3,000 head of sheep grazing from uh, uh, between the winter and the summer season uh, on, the, on the move. So the interesting thing here is that uh, despite some, may, some of these immigrants that arrived in the late 19th century and early 20th century and throughout the, the, the 20th century, may have worked before with a small flock of sheep in the Basque country, and despite the popular assumptions or despite the popular uh, representations in, in the US, most of these Basque immigrants never worked before as open ranch sheep herders uh, when they immigrated to, to, to the United States. So rather than a transplantation of traditional life ways and knowledge from the old world, the growth of basic garden in the West represented a process of adaptation to, to the conditions of labor to which they were an accustomed. So it was the development facilitated both by the familiar pattern of chain migration, but also by a longer and perhaps an expected history of mobility and economic opportunism over the course of the 19th century. And the Basque immigrants were willing to take this job which was unwanted, was a tedious work, was uh, an unglamorous job, if we compare at some point with, with the cowboy culture and, and other, other uh, jobs in the West. But this, however, did, did not discourage the Basque immigration, so this 
created this chain migration that lasted until, until the, the late 20th century. Well, I feel like the next question then has to be, what was this like? I mean, what, what was the experience of immigration and herding work like for these, these Basque workers in the late 19th century, transitioning, you know, not just from one continent to another continent or one biome to another biome, but from one form of, of work and labor to an entire differently form of work and labor? Can you talk a bit about the, that kind of social history, that experience of, of work? What was it like for people who arrived in the United States? Yeah, well, well, it's it's a very a, a very good a very good question because it was a really a really very tough tough work. They were working twenty four hours uh, a day. So basically, Basque immigrants found employment as ship herders largely because the work did not require special skills or any command of the English language. Herding work at that time, uh, and this is important also. Uh, was widely considered the lowest ranking of occupation in, in the ship industry. So they were contract laborers employed by either or oral or writing agreement whose main duty was to care for and oversee the farming of ranch ship. Uh, so handling of handling ship on the western rangelands required grazing bands of nearly two, three thousand head over great distances in the, in the public domain lands, constantly moving from one pasture to another with the seasons. Uh, and besides the trailing and controlling large herds of sheep on open range, these workers also perform a wide range of functions in the home ranch, for example, such as maintenance work on the ranch buildings during, uh, for example, also during the in the spring, during the lambing and shearing season, they they also perform all the all the work required to uh, while well, helping the uh, at this very important time for a for a sheep operation in the spring. Uh, so it was a very answering to your question, it was a very tough work. I mean, they were exposed to many setbacks, to many environmental setbacks. Uh, predator attacks and, and many many Basques well not only not only Basque herders but also Mexican Portuguese Greek sheep herders died in the desert uh, because of the some having some accident a small accident and then uh, being isolated in this in, in the in, in the desert so it was a very very difficult job. Uh, working 24 hours uh, a day. And it was important also in terms of the wages, I think, how in many cases these Basque immigrants, uh, if we compare with other immigrant communities, for example, these immigrants uh, in the late 19th century began accepting uh, their wages lumps as means to form their own outfits. So under this system, the, the worker will operate mixed ship bands consisting of both his own and the ranchers. This system worked work well for both parties under favorable conditions when the ship repro reproduced well and there were no significant input losses. And this allowed, this system moved, uh, well allowed to these immigrants to become autonomous graziers, autonomous ranchers, 
often, oftentimes forming uh, partnerships with another Basque immigrant. Uh, then, well, the parent continued being obtaining ownership of a ranch and investing in the operation. By this time, usually, these immigrants also became naturalized U.S. citizens. And of course, uh, well, in this pattern of this agricultural ladder, exceptions can always be found to this lifetime pattern. But it was the pattern, this pattern which created this, uh, well, how, somehow, how, why the past owned ship operations by the early 20th century had increased in many parts of the West and how they became almost omnipresent in this industry, allowing to continue this same migration, bringing more immigrants from the Basque country to the West. And while this process of, of immigration and transition to new forms of labor, while all this is going on, uh, you know, this is also a period of pretty, pretty strong debate and of changing politics around land usage in the American West. And Basque sheep herders become entangled in these politics of land use, specifically surrounding the question of national forests in Nevada. Can you tell a little bit about that story? How do Basque sheep herders become engaged in this wider debate about how best to use national or natural resources in the West? Yeah, so in the late 19th century, these Basque immigrants roaming freely on the public domain lands with several thousand head of sheep were well, were perceived by the older livestock operators, operators sorry, as a growing threat to established ranching. And they were also seen as potential environmental villains by the American conservation movement that will, perf- that will form, uh, as you mentioned, uh, a major aspect of the progressive reform politics in the first decade of the 20th century. So when Congress and the president moved to establish forest reserves and eventually national forests in the late 19th century, issues of ranch rangeland governance made the presence of Basque itinerant sheep herders central to local and national debates. And those arguments turned Basque into a scapegoat in, well, in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in this history. Conservationists claim that transient Basque sheep herders were detrimental to agricultural development because they did little to build up the land. By this argument, the Basque uh, well, should not be favored at the expense of the regular occupants, either large or small. And that's what, I mean, this discourse was developed at this time, which the local ranch owners and small town business communities, for example, in, in places like Elko, uh, Nevada in northeastern part of Nevada, with the banking community, for example, giving loans or not, which depending on the prosperity of the of the of these lands too, complain to a state and federal representatives about the vast presence in 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 these lands. So their resentment against these transients led to the occasional roughing up of ship herders. And this, this is the, the, the other story of this history, when many Basque uh, were, uh, were killed by, by cowboys or other livestock operators for grazing on the public domain lands 
that they were used uh, traditionally by other uh, operators in in the state of Nevada. And this story, of course, is well known in other states like in Colorado, Idaho, uh, Utah, and many other places of the West. And most local U.S. Forest Service officials defended the idea of keeping many bus herders out of the national forest in favor of those who had stronger ties to the local business communities. And usually, forest rangers, in their reports to their supervisors recommending the exclusion of sheep in the national forest, typically portrayed Basques as furtive and selfish destroyers of the environment. So yeah, that that's that there is there is this very interesting creation of the the Basques as an environmental villain uh, at the time when the ranchers were claiming to extend the national forest in Nevada to protect their interests against these transient ship, ship operations like the Basques. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And let's talk a little bit about the, the, the reaction to Basque immigration, to, excuse me, Basque immigrants moving to the United States. And you talked a little bit about this just now, but how, what were some of the, the, the stereotypes or the beliefs surrounding Basque sheep herders? And how does this change over the course of the first few decades of the 20th century? How do the politics of race and immigration in the United States intersect with this story of Basque immigration and sheep herding in the beginning of, of the new century, of the 20th century? So, so the image of the Basques are wandering landless sheep herder on the margins of the grazing economy gave the entire Basque immigrant community a very negative reputation at this time, in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And this negative conception of the Basque immigrants in the West as landless and nomad, nomad uh, sheep herder persist, persisted with, the, with some cattle owners continuously using the image as a pretext to discredit and even demonize the, the sheep industry. Peyoratively, these Basques could be, uh, were usually called as black Bascos, greasers, uh, or even they were called as garlic snappers. And Basque foreign cultural traditions uh, help make, like, like the Basque language itself, since they didn't, in, uh, and the first time they didn't speak uh, uh, any word of English. Help, they helped to make their presence a target of suspicion and criticism during the, peri the period leading up to World War I, when, as it is well known, an American xenophobic movement was on the rise. In this context, they were seen as cultural parasites. Uh, the Basque were, were seen as cultural parasites. But in time, curiously, a popular sympathy developed towards them. Through the labor in the sea business, Basque immigrants moved from being an oppressed and impoverished population to being an honorable class of laborers 
in Nevada and other parts of the West, many ranchers and popular public opinion began to recast or consider the Basque laborer in essentialist terms as an ancient white race of Europe already adapted to working in harsh environmental conditions, all of which say that Basque were racially and culturally pre-adapted to sheep herding. Long-time American wool growers especially created a stereotype of the Basque as a qualified, strong, honorable, dependable, honest, and good worker. In the eyes of, the, of these, these Anglo ranchers, Basques acquired the level of the the level of the best sheep herders, and this is reflected in, in the newspapers of the of the time. The, the essentialist assumption of the Basques skilled sheep herder was ultimately a result of their early success in the sheep industry and the recognition of the whiteness that confirmed a racial privilege from the dominant society. At that time, while there were some academic studies of the late 19th century physical anthropologists that racialized the, the past people attributing to them potential distinguishing racial, racial features as they set upon their diaspora into the American West. And such studies created a racial identity that will be echoed by the popular press in, in places like Elko, Reno, Nevada, uh, and many other Western communities like Boise or Salt Lake City. And the, the positive cultural representations of the Basques conform somehow in the early 20th century so closely to the idealized view of the white American worker in the modern American West. So Basque immigrants entering the ship industry, migrating from, the, from Spain and France, benefited from these perceptions of, uh, of this racial identity and used it to access to the different social and economic opportunities prevailed in the, in the whole society. And it was after the passage of the Immigration Act of 1924, which established quotas uh, to different countries, when, when after, after this immigration law, it was when, when the past were considered as white by, one, by the Anglo-Americans or as Caucasian uh, in this new redefinition of the white in the United States. And Basques, well, Basques underwent a whitening process similar to other European immigrants, such as the Italians, that played uh, uh, an important, a positive factor in their access to jobs and other uh, social economic opportunities. But at, this, at the same time, the other, uh, well, this, this affected, of course, or this, this othering or this whitening uh, had consequences on the other side, especially to the, to the Mexican community that was usually defining in the opposite uh, terms of the, of the past ship carders uh, uh, in, in this discourse.
And of course, the 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 nineteen thirties are a pretty uh, they're you know a, a crucial and a turbulent time in uh, in Spanish history and in European history more broadly with the the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War and then of course with the Second World War. How did these events affect um, the Basque people and Basque immigration and the sheep herding industry in the United States in particular? Yeah. So in the late nineteen thirties. Among other issues, the recruitment of Basque herders became a pressing issue among uh, among employers. So the Immigration Act of 1924 had reduced significantly the the number of Basques uh, able to enter the country to work in the in the in the, in the in, as sheep herders, and the effects of this law were largely felt in the late 1930s and early. 1940s, at the time of the Second World War. As you say, the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War between 1936-1939 made things much more difficult for those ranchers deciding to recruit Basques. Uh, well, even, even the, the Spanish Civil War finished in 1939 the Basque country. The war uh, finished in the summer of 1937 when the fascist forces uh, or the Frank, Franco's uh, forces conquered the Basque country, which pushed many Basques into exile to places like France, uh, to Mexico, to many other, uh, to the Soviet Union too, to England. And in, in many parts of the world, the Basque diaspora played an important role in helping their fellow countrymen to relocate to these uh, host countries. And during, after, during, and after the Civil War, however, any Basque willing to escape to the United States with the pretext of working in sheep grazing or eager to work for any wage was subjected to the Spanish quota still remaining in force. The United States, for its part, did not open its doors to Spanish refugees. So now, sheep ranchers they saw a chronic labor shortage in the ship industry that moved them to petition the U.S. Congress in the coming years to permit additional Basque immigration. But to obtain special legislation, these employers had to demonstrate to the, to the, to the, to the U.S. government that the Basque were skilled workers and emphasized they alleged racial and cultural talents for sheep raising as a justification to grant them permanent skilled labor immigrant permits. In other words, they have to demonstrate that they have to import or bring this labor from Spain because they could not find uh, this labor in, in the U.S. So the development of the sheep industry, this, the sheep herding industry at this time and its labor needs encouraged the increase in articulation of specific perspectives on Basque immigrants, particularly with regard to being innately skilled in, in, this, in this job. So the Second World War revealed a Basque immigrant labor shortage in, the, in this industry in Nevada and other parts of the West, and Congress restrict, restrictive immigration uh, measures put in place during the mid-1920s had significantly reduced the amount of Basque labor available for sheep grazing. 
by the late 30s and early 40s, furthermore, most of the earlier Basque immigrants who had, re had reached by this time an old age, they were retired or moved to better jobs. Some of these immigrants of that time had been called up for military service and others left the shipherders occupations, as I said, for more desirable wartime jobs. As a result, employing immigrants for shipherding at this time became even a more difficult, it became more challenging for these employers, something that prompted a strong response from the industry itself. Wool growers organizing efforts were aimed at finding ways to get around uh, those restrictions to recruit more Basque immigrants. And in this fight for, for, to bring Basque herders to the West, a US Senator McCarran was, instrument, was instrumental in helping wool growers to, 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 to bring a Basque immigrant labor supply. Uh, although it was not the only issue facing the ship industry in the West at this time, it drew great attention. Increasing regulation of public grazing lands, the shortage of agricultural labor, and generally increasing production costs placed the ship industry in a difficult situation as it faced the future. But as McCarran gained power and influence in the Senate at this time, he will seek ways to open the immigration doors for the Basque. So that's the, the context in which these, these wool growers try to bring Basques from, from the other side of the Atlantic with the help of, of the Senator Patrick McCarran. And, and, the, and the shortage continued after, after the war. And as you were saying, it's it's in this period, in the 1940s and 50s, when McCarran really becomes a crucial player in this history that, that you've been telling. So as we kind of get toward the, the end of the story that you tell in the book, in the yeah. aftermath of World War II, the United States is trying to normalize relations with uh, Franco's uh, regime in Spain, although you know not without very understandable controversy in the United States. And Basque immigration plays a role in these politics and indeed these larger politics have effects on the, the Basque people themselves. Can you talk a bit about this and about the role that McCarran played in this part of the story as well? Yeah, so, well, after, after the war, I mean, it's this changing international situation, the question of the Basque immigration to, uh, to the United States drew the attention of the Franco's regime. So well after after the Spanish Civil War and, and in the and during the Second World War, Franco Franco was isolated from the from the from the Western World as he well he participated uh, or helped in, in his own way to the Axis powers. And after well in the early Cold War he was isolated from the from the helps that uh, from the Marshall Plan, and, and to the help uh, any commercial relations that bring uh, the Spain to the sphere of the of the U.S. and the Western democracies. So by the late 1940s, the Spanish government and even before the Spanish government manipulated the Basque immigration issue for its own political and economic advantage. And Spain government, Spanish government began regulating Basque immigrant labor to the United States through the enforcement of immigrant 
contract labor laws. At the same time, trying to finish this, this isolation that the, the Franco's regime was facing at this time from the Western democracies, uh, some Catholic representatives in Washington, and one of them was uh, Patrick McCarran, played an important role trying to bring Franco's regime uh, into the, uh, well, trying to bring uh, to to bring to strengthen the relations with the U.S. Uh, after after the war, and in this process, the the question of the Basque immigration, the question to bring more groups of Basque immigrants to the West, despite the immigration quotas that were still in force since the 1920s. Uh, well, they they defended this this recruitment of Basque from Spain as means to uh, to bring Spanish, the Franco's regime into the sphere of the of the of the American diplomacy. So, uh, in this context, in the late nineteen forties, trying to take advantage of this of this process of this recruitment of the Basques. Um, to, to, to the United States, the Spanish government started to create these new immigration contract laws or this Spanish legislation which required American ranch employers to raise the wages of these immigrants in the West and improve the working, the work, the, the labor conditions of these shipbuilders, which is again a very paradoxical story in here how Franco was defending the labor conditions of these bus that at the same time they were escaping from, from Spain. So Franco's government imposed taxes on Basque immigrant workers that were hired in Spain to work in the American West. The increasing administrative red tape raised costs to recruit Basque from Spain to these ranchers, but at the same time, Basque immigrants, those Basque immigrants who emigrated in the late 40s and early 50s, the labor conditions improved significantly with better wages if we compare with the decades before. And it was an important event here in this, in this history when the US government and the, and, the, and the Franco's regime in 1953 signed the Pact of Madrid in order to formalize the, 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 the relations and the commercial relations between the two countries, which indirectly also facilitated the recruitment of the Basque immigrant labor, but more importantly, that this, uh, this pact, I mean, the, the recruitment of the question of the recruitment of the Basque immigrant labor was behind this pact of, of Madrid. And Macaran played, of course, a crucial role here in this in this history. And you wrap up the book around this time, around the the, the story of the Pact of Madrid and the nineteen. Curious, if you were to say write another chapter or an afterword or extend this book through the rest of the twentieth century up until today, what might that arc look like? What is some of the more recent history of Basque migration and of Basque sheep herding in Nevada and in the American West? Yeah, so, well, this history will continue with the decrease of 
of the migratory, migratory flows from the Basque country and the appearance of the Peruvian workers in the ship industry, which is a very important uh, thing here. Uh, and this transition to, to, to what is now, the, even today, the, the, what is the, the main labor in the West in this, in this industry. So an important chapter here would be how by the 1960s, the Basque labor in ship raised decreased uh, significantly but curiously, at this time, even if this migration decreased, at the same time, Basque immigrants' living and working conditions improved. But even now that immigration was more beneficial to Basques than even before, the annual net migrant flow decreased about 85%, uh, I estimate that 85% by 1965. And the reason of that was that in Spain, the well, the situation in Spain changed significantly economically. By this time, Spain Spain was now a source of higher wages and better job opportunities. And well, this this uh, discouraged these Basques to emigrate to the West. And this immigration decline coincided with a decreasing wool production due largely to the loss of price competitiveness internationally, especially against countries like Argentina or Australia. So the result was an end to the passive hardening area in the American West at this time in the late 1970s, sorry, in the late 1960s and 1970s. And from this moment on, South Americans particularly Peruvian workers, replaced Basque immigrant workers in ship racing. And to meet this labor scarcity, and that's, I think, that very important story here, uh, ship ranchers had found the H-2A program, which brings guest workers to the United States to be a viable employment alternative. The H-2A program is a widely used to employ, uh, as is well known, to employ workers in agricultural industry, and the ranching sector is exempt from some of the standards of the of the rules that are under this program. So the typical agricultural, for example, the typical agricultural guest worker contract, for instance, lasts six to ten months. But in the case of the sea workers, because of this seasonal, uh, uh, well, this seasonal type of work experience. Uh, well, this this uh, sorry, this annual uh, uh, process of production of the ship. Well, the ship harder visas can be extended for up to three years, and while most H2A workers are entitled are entitled, for example, to a minimum wage, ranchers can pay their workers a pre-established salary for an unlimited for an unlimited amount of work. So. I will extend this history to this transition to from the decline of the of the of the Basque immigrant labor in the 1960s and 70s to to, to the appearance of this new Basque herder in in the American West from from Peru. 
And then as we start to, to wrap up here, I always like to ask this question of my guests as kind of a, an overview or a summary question. I've been told it's not a very easy question, so forgive me in advance, but if there is one single takeaway that you hope readers come away from your book understanding, what might that uh, takeaway uh, be? Well, I hope, I hope that readers come away understanding that the book, my book de deconstructs the culturally essentialist narrative surrounding the Basque community in the West and, and the Basque herders, the Basque herders themselves. But at the same time, that my book also recognizes Basque immigrants as workers who produced an important commodity in the West, like many, like many others. So yeah, that that would be what uh, what I hope that readers come away from from my book. I definitely uh, got got that impression from from the book personally, so I think it's successful in that way. Um, and then, last but not least, if if we get a preview of what you're working on next, um, you know, historians always have many projects that they're working on at, at any given time. So, what have you been working on in the years since this book's publication back in 2019? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I lot I do a a lot of I have a lot of projects uh, in my in my in my mind. And right now, while well, I'm working on different projects focused on the economic history of the ship industry in the West, uh, especially I'm I'm more focused now on on Montana. I'm I'm focused more on Montana ship business in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And while well, I am analyzing different the factors, the different well the all all the factors of productions affecting at different times in history, uh, analyzing the different depressions, how it affected to the business in the state of Montana, starting from from uh, from from the tariffs and uh, going through also the public land regulations, uh, and also including, of course, for example, the the predator relations well, the predator attacks, uh, uh, or how the predators, like the coyotes and all the wolf populations, affected also to to the business. So right now, yeah, I'm kind of uh, under this uh, this project of the economic history of the sea business uh, with a focus on Montana. Just speaking for myself, as I was reading your your book about Nevada, I realized I didn't know, you know, virtually anything about not just the history of Basque immigration, but also the history of sheep herding in the American West itself. So it sounds like, you know, more history on that topic is absolutely needed. So uh, I'll definitely be asking you back on the show when the book about sheep herding throughout the rest of the West and the Montana comes out. So watch for an email from me. Yeah, I will be. I would love to join you, uh, join you in another interview, Steve. Dr. Iker Saitwa is an assistant professor of public policy and economic history at the University of the Basque Country in Bilbao, Spain. And his new book is Basque Immigrants and Nevada's Sheep Industry, Geopolitics and the Making of an Agricultural Workforce, which came out in 2019 with the University of Nevada Press. Thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today, Iker. Thank you so much, Steve. Mm -hmm.